Okay. It's good to be together, isn't it? It's good to catch up and worship team. Wow. Like properly. Thank you. Where's the worship team? Joel, Sarah, Andrea. Yes, thank you. Sure, sure. What, what an incredible, incredible uh, just sense of, of the Lord being with us. So this morning we carry on in the journey of rebuilding. Um, and, um, oh, let me just say this. Before we carry on in the journey of rebuilding, I think the sun is a, is a premium. I'm seeing people, uh, yeah, when we said look to the sun, um, I'm not sure that was what we meant, but in any case. So we're just realizing that as the seasons change, you know, like we said, if you come to explore, you've got to like be really smart because uh, you've got to work out where we are, when we are, and, and whatnot. Now, if we're indoors, normally it's been 10 o'clock, outdoors has been 9 o'clock. But as the seasons are changing, I mean, now the sun's coming up at about 10 past 7 already, um, we realize that meeting outdoors is still our preferred venue. So as of next week, regardless of whether we're indoors or outdoors, we're going to move to 10 o'clock so that it doesn't get so chilly. And that, um, and then we've got options. The school have actually put a power plug just outside the, um, the uh, tuck shop so we can actually get power from that side. So then we're not, we're not fixed in this location or in the quad. We can actually get that sunny patch over there as winter comes. But we'd rather do that at about 10 in the morning instead of at 9 in, uh, as winter comes. And obviously, when we've got to go indoors, we'll go indoors. So that's just to give you a sense. So what we're doing now as of April, which means Friday morning, is, um, is if the weather's good for Friday morning, we'll meet outdoors, but it will be at 10 o'clock. And, and as we go, probably all the way through until September, if we're able to meet outdoors, it's going to be at 10 o'clock so that... Uh, yeah, and then we'll just have to watch the weather like we're doing at the moment. So that's just to give you a sense. Sorry, JP, we threw you in the deep end on that one there. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay, so we've been in the book of Nehemiah. And as we're approaching the end, I, um, I really just wanted us to take a moment and pause and, and kind of ask, what has God been showing me? What has God been showing us? And thank you to those who sent me emails or WhatsApps or voice notes and that kind of thing. And, and you might be here, and I, and I haven't specifically uh, you, you know, picked on you. I had a few people coming. Not everyone's actually able to be here today. Um, but I'm, I'm going to ask some of the folk to share some of the things that have stood out to them. And... and just to be listening, just to be listening, Lord, what is it that you're asking us to do? It's one thing to, you know, get a better insight into God's word. It's one thing to understand something of the circumstances and the situation and challenges that Nehemiah actually faced. But there's that step that goes from his life to ours. And it goes from his community to our community. It goes from his city, Jerusalem, to our city, Cape Town. 
and 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 what is it that has stirred you? So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask uh, my Cindy to start, and if you as you're listening, you'd like to share as well. Just come and catch me. I'm gonna be down at the front. Um, we'll go with Cindy and then uh, maybe Anton and then and we'll just see um, as we're listening. So if if you're going, yes, oh, I forgot to say or whatever, you're, you're still welcome. And it doesn't mean I don't have a sermon. It's just that my sermon is going to be based on what I hear you say. So I said to the, uh, I said to the, um, to to the prayer meeting, you know, just pray that I'm in the spirit this morning. Yeah. So Cindy, over to you. Good morning, Explore. Before I start, we have some exciting family news. To Neville and Jenny, we want to celebrate. Uh, we heard this week that they are no, they aren't. <laughs> they are expecting to be grandparents to twins. To uh, Nicole and Dean, well done, guys. That is amazing. And it ties up, <laughs> kind of. I will never forget the second, series, second sermon in the series. We were in the church auditorium, and Vaughan had emceed, and Craig had asked that I wrap up with Vaughan at the end of that service. At the beginning, he kind of said to me, so how are we going to land the ship? And I was like, I have no idea. Just... Let's just see how it goes. And one of the lines in that sermon was, if I don't, who will miss out? If I don't do this, who will miss out? And you know when something really hits you in the gut, and it was like, oh. And I stood up to close with that line. But as I was saying it, the Lord said to me, this is for you. And I want you to do something that I would never do in my flesh, <laughs> never. And that was to finish my studies. When I was at theological college, we had to leave before I had done my third year. We both very strongly felt called to Natal. And it has always been something that's hung over my head. Um, and every time I thought, okay, I'm going to pursue it, I'd fall pregnant. So that was very smartly parked. Uh, after the third time, I was like, I'm not thinking those thoughts anymore. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the Lord really spoke to me about if you don't do this, who's going to miss out? If I don't complete my studies in order to maybe share the knowledge that I've gained, uh, life knowledge uh, in working with children, Who's going to miss out? And I suppose it tied in very closely with the fact that we had just lost Robert, who lectured in children's ministry and, and just had so much to give. And then the next service, a sermon was from Bevan, and he said, sometimes you're going to face opposition and it's going to be hard. And I thought, okay, <laughs> I'll just stop now, shall I? Good thought. Uh, no, it was taking that first step. And my first step was to meet with Lindsay, and we had a great chat, and he could really give me some good guidance. And then to make the actual step and phone the theological college and go, right, what do you do with someone who last studied 30 years ago? Um, you know, and they said, okay, this is what we need. And actually, it wasn't that hard, except that I need to find a little piece of paper that's about 30 odd years old, called a matric certificate. Um, I have everything else. Um, so you can pray for that part <laughs> as I submit the next part. But a real step of faith going, 
Okay, part of the rebuilding of the city is if, what? Who's going to miss out if I don't? And studying is not my sweet spot. Living is my sweet spot. And so it's going to mean adjusting and stepping back. And saying no to some things I dearly love to say yes to. But I still can't get away from that. If I don't, then who will miss out? Firstly, I just got to say sometimes the shortest way to a point is the long way around. So it's going to take a little while. But um, Craig just asked me to share some thoughts about the challenges uh, that in, in Nehemiah that I've been feeling. And uh, I think the first thing is, you know, listening to or trying to relate to the Old Testament and um, 500 years BC is um, quite difficult, you know, trying to put things in context. But not so much with Nehemiah. Uh, because I found that we're in the same trade, you know, he, he's building and I'm in the building trade. And um, much like the Bible is uh, a, uh, a blueprint for Christian living, so in the trade we get plans, you know, we get a blueprint uh, from an engineer and uh, he's printed it on nice AutoCAD and it's perfect in every position. But then we get to site, you know real living and uh, and we've got to install what's on the plan and I'm in a game called piling not filing filing is um, something you do indoors you know it was paper but piling and piling is uh, we put large generally circular columns in the ground for uh, for large loads to be carried on for buildings and for for bridges and things like that so it's like a Let's say a column, the height of this tree, uh, about 600 diameter, and it'll take 200 minis on it, you know. So um, that's what we do. But when you get to site, uh, often we can't always install that pile exactly as per the engineer's drawing. Uh, there's an obstruction or two, you know, and um, it deflects a little bit. But because there's a group of piles, um, it, it, it's still is suitable for the engineer to accept it in the final position. Something we call fit for purpose in my game. <laughs> and uh, you know, engineers might be twitching now, but um, <laughs> you know, it's fit for purpose. And uh, pay. <laughs> but anyway, and uh, <laughs> so, uh, um, and much like Nehemiah, he had uh, numerous people um, from stonemasons that were perfect for the job, to hairdressers and barbers and accountants, even lawyers, to build the wall, you know, in front of their house. And, you know, he used fit-for-purpose people to build a fit-for-purpose wall. And um, I think that's really the message, is that, you know, we're actually all fit-for-purpose. But there's a couple of things that have, like um, Cindy was saying, that have come out of the series. And i just got to find my three little sentences that I seem to recall. Um, things like, revival needs to result in reform, or it's just an expression of enthusiasm. That was uh, from last week, and it certainly hit home, because often I find myself enthusiastic about things but standing out on the side watching other people implement 
and when I should actually be involved and part of that. The other thing is efficiency, also from last week. Maximum output for minimum input, something we as contractors and engineers relate to and, and need all the time, often reflects my expectations of God for my life. Little input, little prayer, little reading, little acknowledgement, little worship for great blessing. So those are challenges that I'm busy with. Um, as Christians, often we want a righteous community, a righteous government. But we rely on the clergy or the people in, in the church, running the church, and the politicians to set the, the policies. But I think it's actually us on the ground that are fit for purpose. We're actually the people that should be volunteering, um, getting into societies, getting into leadership positions. And the clergy are there to guide us to eternal life. They've got a hard job, a very hard job. And the politicians are trying to create policy which often doesn't work for the majority. So why don't we, you know, we, we're the ones that are fit for purpose, for community. And I'm just saying that I think the challenge for me is is finding where I fit and where that purpose is in community. Thanks. Yeah, um, I think what stood out for me about the series was that um, it was everybody working together. And even in the way that the series um, was delivered or, or preached, we had Bevan, Craig, Lindsay and Bernadette, you know, ministering to us together. And that really stood out for me, especially I think it was Nehemiah 6 verse 15. Um, it says, the work was completed in 52 days. Yo, everybody working together accomplished an enormous task um, in, in the face of really great difficulty. Where, I mean, you had Sanballat and company trying to lure Nehemiah away from the great work. And he just refused to compromise. He refused to listen to any conspiracy theories. He had the discernment to check out all those prophetic betrayals. He did not make any toxic alliances. He realized, you know, that our power is not the way that the world's power looks. Um, the, I think what really also stood out for me was uh, when Craig was saying that we as Christians, we do not need Caesar's power to do Christ's work. That really struck with me was like, yo, um, and it took me a while to just, I had to listen to the sermon again and, and uh, just read over it again. Um, our power doesn't look that way. When we work together, it's an amazing task that can be accomplished to the glory of God the Father. Our means to power is through self-sacrifice and through service and also in hiddenness. And that for me was just something like, wow, that really struck me. Um, I do not enjoy being in front. I like to be out where no one can really, you know, going about my business. I don't really want to be in front of the mic. And we as Christ's church, it might seem that being in the shadows or being hidden is not powerful, but it is. Um, yeah, that's all. 
I, I think probably one of the main things I was reminded of during this series. Ah, let's take it off. Sorry, guys. The main thing I was reminded of during this series was something I felt when as a as a young believer, God led me. I mean, I, I was so green. I didn't know there was a book of Nehemiah. And I'd found myself in a situation where I didn't know what to do um, and prayed as I went to sleep and woke up in the middle of the night with the word Nehemiah. So I had to get my Bible out and flip to the index to see if there actually was a book called Nehemiah. And so it's, it's so grounded in me something, but just being reminded just the significance of prayer um, in terms of the community. Um, the, the description of how at one stage when there was threat, how they had to build um, they had to have a trowel in one hand and a, and a sword in a sense in the other. Um, and the importance of that, whatever we're, we're about, to keep on marrying our, our prayer lives with, with action. Um, it's not one or the other, but also that they're people who called specifically to stand behind um, and to be praying. Um, and then also the person who, who sounds the call, sounds the trumpet, the pr prophets who bring, who, who make that clarion call to, to draw attention to, to things that are, are happening that we need to be aware of and to draw the community together. Um, and so in a sense, uh, for me, the, the, the thing I feel God wants to say to us this morning is, is just to, again, to fan into flame the gift that he's placed within you, to respond to, in a sense, what God's called you to. So it's not just the mechanics of building a wall, um, but it's actually what is, in, in addition to marrying prayer with action, um, is there something specific? Am I one of those who stands behind and, and intercedes and, it, and that's my main priority and that's the gift that God's given me? Am I a prophet? Am I, you know, so it's call, calling forth all those gifts um, to be able to serve the whole and the community and working together. As I said, um, you know, when I preach on Joseph, I come to the end of the series and I let's take a bit of the treble off this, uh, this one. Thanks. You know, I, I sort of like feel like I'm going to miss them. It's like you've built a connection, you know. There's a kind of... And uh, and and so today I'm going to read a bit that I'm not really going to miss about Nehemiah. We didn't we didn't find it earlier. Um, and I, I'm going to take just a few moments to talk about kind of going the distance. Because one of the things that stands out for Nehemiah, so I'm in chapter 13 and verse 6. Nehemiah finds out that the high priest, well, let's just start at verse 4. It says, before this, Eliashib the priest had put in charge of the store, has been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, who was Tobiah. He was the leader of the Ammonites, one of the people expressly forbidden in scripture from being near the temple. Like they had been a people that had attacked Israel when they were vulnerable just out of, out of Egypt. And he had provided him, Elisha had provided Tobiah with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and the incense and the temple offering articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and the olive oil, which was prescribed for the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. So this was kind of the treasury room in which the resources that were there to keep the temple going were, uh, were to be kept and administered and overseen. But while this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem for the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, 
king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. So this is 12 years he had been governor, but then went back. And sometime later, and we don't know how long, probably a couple of years, given the amount of time they traveled and everything like that. So he had been governor. Someone else was appointed in his place, and he had gone back uh, to give an account. So, you know, he had quite a long reporting period. He had 12 years of reporting to do. Um, and he came back to Jerusalem, and here I learned the evil thing Eliashib had done in, in providing to buy a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased. You know, sometimes when you, when you read that, you've got to like pause and just think of being Nehemiah's wife. Um, you know, sort of like what played out for a night or two at home when he got back and found out what was going on. And I was greatly displeased. And threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. So Tobiah had literally moved in. I mean, his, his house, this was his, you know, this is his microwave and his, and his lounge and everything. Like, you know, his household stuff was there. Tobiah the Ammonite was living in a strategic room inside of the temple. I mean, he probably had lit lots of other rooms. He was a very wealthy ruler. But Yari was right inside the temple. Now, we learned earlier in the book that, that Nehemiah wasn't, you know, he did not go to the temple because you did not, unless you were a priest, go into the temple precincts. But in one sense in this moment, he realizes the priests are complicit in the mess up that's going on. And so he takes matters into his own hands, goes in, and he restores to the place. I put back into the room the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the, offer and the incense. I also learned the portions assigned to the Israelites uh, sorry, verse 9, and I gave orders to purify the room. So after he'd been in the room, he then calls on the priests to do their job and to purify the rooms. And then he learned that the Levites had not received their portions. The musicians had, had gone back to their fields. The, and, and he turns, he says, why is the house of God neglected? Why is the house of God neglected? And so he began to call people back to their roles. And you see how he calls the Levites back. They'd gone off to, to try and find fields. The, the Levites had no land inheritance in Israel. The Lord was seen as their inheritance. They were there to be the teachers, the administrators. They were there to create the order. And they were out of the Levites came the priestly class. And, um, and, and you know, so that was their role. But that, that class had received no support. And so that part of Israel's life in Nehemiah's absence had come under pressure. And now these guys had gone and they were trying to just get by. So they were trying to find places. And so he restores the room to its rightful role. And then he restores the people to those roles. And as we read on, we find then that he has to go through a process of, of you know, reinstating the treasury and making sure there's an accountable system in which the supply for the temple, so the temple supply, its people, etc., gets restored and put back in place. Then he finds out the Sabbath, um, again, it wasn't the people of God, as it were, 
but they were allowing their space to be, you know, just become a marketplace and people were coming in and then they were just like popping off to the shop. You know, they weren't actually the traders. The traders were coming from elsewhere, but they would just like pop off to the shop on the Sabbath. And Nehemiah goes, no guys, no guys. And so he, you know, he's got the gates, the gates are in place. And so they close the gates and the gates stay closed. And he eventually has to go out and chat to the, um, that might be a kind word, to these traders who were like literally now waiting at the gate. And he says, don't, don't come here when it's our day of rest. And, um, and, and then we see Nehemiah maybe... <laughs> in one of his most extreme moments. Uh, we don't know how old he was now, but maybe he had got a bit grumpy or whatever. And so he finds out that more intermarriage was going on, but not just that, you know, and we'd seen what the, the main problem was, but that the children couldn't even speak the language of Zion anymore. And so, you know, Communication starting to break down. People from Ashdod, which were the Philistines, Ammon and Moab, um, nations that were specifically forbidden uh, for Israel. And so we read in verse 25, Nehemiah says, So I rebuked them, called down curses on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. It's kind of it's kind of hard to kind of in this moment find anything redemptive in Nehemiah's behavior, and I think we just got to say that you know it's like he tried so hard, and eventually he just loses it. You know, I beat them and I pulled out their hair. You know, I can't spiritualize that. I can't do much. I mean, you know, I read the commentaries. One guy says, well, this is a shame culture. And so he's using the, the form of the day and everything like that. I don't know. Maybe he had just grown weary. Maybe this thing of rebuilding sometimes just felt so hard. And at times it seems like why is everyone leaving it to me? Why is everyone leaving this rebuilding thing to me? You know, Cindy, you mentioned it was this collective thing that made them so effective. And the moment he goes off the scene, and it was probably for, you know, we don't know long. It just says after some time, so we don't know how long. But given the amount of travel, it's three months one way. So that would be six months of travel, and he probably had to spend a significant amount of time just with the king. So he turns his back, and when he comes back, the temptation to feel, why am I the only one having to take care of this thing? And as I look at Nehemiah's legacy, one of the challenges that we face is not to not to give up on the things that we know God has put his finger on. And, and, and in, in, in Nehemiah's commendation here, you can see, and you can go and read the book of Malachi, these were hot-button issues at that time. 
So as you, you read through Malachi, you, you read about um, the intermarriage and that being a challenge. You read about the priests and their compromise. You read about the issues of justice and the neglect of the poor and, um, and things, uh, you know, taking of land and, and, and stacking up the, um, uh, the indebtedness and the enslavement of the widow and the orphan and the alien. And you, you read that they are called. So, I mean, intermarriage in itself was not a racial thing because the prophets were telling people in those times, take care of the alien. It wasn't a problem that there were people who weren't of Israel in there. The issue was that they were taking them away from the Lord their God, the question of faith. And, and so as we go into that space, we find that, that there's these common themes. And one of the themes Malachi has to deal with is, why are we robbing God? You know, the temple had this uh, support structure commanded by God, put in place, and people were now compromising. Not only was the house being taken over for other purposes, and so you've got, you know, a clear enemy, like literally resident in the temple. I mean, Nehemiah's thinking, how can they let this happen? And then he finds out it's actually the high priest who's let this happen. And you see this... Um, this challenge, and it actually grows. There's several trends here that continue all the way through till the life of Jesus. So we see that the priest class continues to form alliances with the ruling class. We see that the issue of the Sabbath stays a hot-button issue. When Jesus is there, there's, there's a lot of feelings and, and, and tensions around the issue of Sabbath issues of mixed marriages and that kind of stuff and the differences between those who working with these outside rulers and those who trying to subvert these outside rulers and these issues kind of stay massive in in this space and one of the things we've got to realize in this journey of rebuilding is you're not going to get the moment where you say okay now we are done you can put the walls in place, but remember, Nehemiah had the concern for the people and for, for the honor of God's name. Lord, we are covered in shame. Lord, we've let you down. We, you've been faithful. We've messed this up. And now you are, as it were, seen as less by the world around us. Nehemiah's concern was that the walls, which were built in 52 days, were actually a means to an end. And that end was to see the city and its people flourish and thrive. And in one sense, you know, there are turnaround moments where we actively say, this we will do, this we can measure, this we can build. But one of the things we must not do is forget the bigger picture. 
And Nehemiah's legacy becomes this, that he stays focused on delivering the things that he knows will bring God glory, that he knows will make his people healthy, and that he knows will achieve that which must be done. And so we find repeated again and again this simple prayer. Lord, remember me for this also, for example. Show mercy to me, verse 22, according to your great love. Sometimes he asks God just to remember him. Sometimes he asks God to remember his deeds. Sometimes when he's dealing with his enemies, uh, in this case, the priests who just, you know, towards the end we find out that the high priest has, has married or um, high priest's son who would probably be the next in line to become high priest has married Sanballat's daughter and he's going like Lord remember them <laughs> and he just keeps committing himself to God as he's on this journey of trying to stay faithful to the vision and he and why is he doing this remember is he feeling sorry for himself i don't think so Cindy you mentioned hiddenness Jesus said that if if you're going to do stuff for the praise of men you've got all the reward that you want Matthew chapter 6 if you're going to do stuff to be seen by men, if you're going to do your giving, if you're going to do your praying, if you're going to do your fasting in order to be seen by others, you've got all reward you will ever get the moment they see you. But if you do your stuff to be seen and remembered by God, you won't in that moment maybe have the reward for which you're working. You know, you're going to pray, and the only person who's going to see you is God. You're going to give, and you're going to pour yourself out, and you're going to hope, and you're going to serve, and you're going to sweat, and you're going to bleed, and you're going to give yourself. And the only person who sees you in that moment is God. And it's not wrong to say, God, I'm asking you not to forget what you've seen happen in secret not to forget what i have committed to you paul says i know whom i've believed and i know he is able to keep that which i've committed to him against that day he knows there's a day when god is going to do exactly what nehemiah prayed remember and so guys don't be discouraged when you're doing the little things of making sure you don't lose the victories. That's what Nehemiah has to do here. He has to make sure that they don't lose the victories. And even if other people have stopped playing with, he's got to make sure that they stay the course. And his prayer is, God, I don't want to lose heart. I want to keep doing this thing even if nobody else sees if nobody else celebrates i know there's a day and i know in whom i have believed if i had to steal the words of paul and he's saying god i'm doing this against that day i'm doing this 
which nobody else cares about. In fact, people are probably angry and upset with me, but I know it's the right thing. And I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up because I am asking you to make a mark against this day. This day that we purified the temple. This day that we started paying the Levites, getting the priests, getting the worship teams back into the temple and, and off the streets where they were trying to make a living. We, Lord, make a mark against this day when, when we started making sure that the children of Israel we're worshiping God and not other idols. God, nobody else cares, but I ask you to keep me faithful. I ask you to remember this day. I ask you to remember me. So as we come to, as it were, the, the end of a series, one of the things is, is, you know, I've sensed the Lord has spoken and, and he's not finished speaking. I sense there's things to do and we are not done. But what we mustn't do is simply park what we know God has stirred. And go, okay, let's just, you know, what's next? In some ways we need to say, Lord, remember, even as I remember. Even as I come back to this. Even as what you have stirred in me, I am going to allow to be stirred again. So I want to take some time just for us to wait on God, we've we've had a, sure, the worship today was certainly just so meaningful for me. I want to have a little bit of just open ministry time. Um, so if you'd like to just stand with me, I'm just going to lead us as we turn to God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask of you Lord, make a mark against the things that you've said to us and that which, that which we need to remember we ask, Lord that we would not let the enemy come and occupy the space that you have taken during this time. We'd not let the enemy come in and trade with his stuff when you have put something new in its place. We'd not let the enemy tear down the walls that you have rebuilt. Come, come Lord.
And Lord, thank you that we literally are together here. And Lord, when there are moments when it does feel like we're the only ones left standing, remind us. <clears throat> remind us that we're called into community, that we can do this together. And Lord, we do pray for that spirit of prayer that as we busy rebuilding, restoring, that literally there would be the sword in one hand and the building trowel in the other. Lord, thank you for the way you've spoken to us. Thank you for your kindness. And Lord, we ask that against that day we will see what you do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.